0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and turn to the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews chapter 13 and one verse of scripture, verse five, that we want to look at today. Today's message is the second in a series of messages following the theme of promises, focusing on the promises that God has made to us. The Bible is full of God's promises from beginning to end. And we're taking... Uh, our next several weeks looking at some of these precious promises, uh, these magnificent precious promises of our Lord. And so today we're going to be looking at one promise regarding God's abiding presence. The word abiding is specifically chosen to describe His presence. The word abiding, of course, means to abide by, uh, to stay with us, to be with us, to never leave us nor forsake us. So God has promised that He would always be with us. So in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Bible says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, and it's the latter part of verse 5 that we're focusing on today. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. Let's look at each uh, word here or most uh, of the words here in this one verse. Uh, this, uh, this verse of scripture, Hebrews thirteen five, is a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses six and eight. Again, where the Lord promised be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So Deuteronomy 31 verses 6 and 8 is where our uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting from that passage of Scripture to remind us. That that was a promise not only to the people of Israel, but also to us as well. Now notice in the verse, notice the personal pronoun, I, I. And what is so significant about this is that this is a reference to God himself. Notice how the quotation begins. For he himself has said, I, I. So this is the Lord who is speaking. This is not the author of the book of Hebrews. He is simply recording what the Lord has said. So it is the Lord God Almighty. It is the Lord who is omnipotent, who is all-powerful, who is omniscient, all-knowing, and who is omnipresent, everywhere present. There is no place in this entire universe where God is not. God is everywhere and God is all-powerful and God is all-knowing. He is the creator of the universe. He is the creator who created you and me. He is the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was and who is and who is to come. So this is a promise from the very mouth of God himself. I, notice the second word, will the word will is a word of determination. It is a word of commitment. And those of us who've been married know exactly what those words mean when the preacher looks at you and say, "Will you take so and so to be your husband or your wife?" and you respond by saying, "I will." And when your wife gives you a command, you respond by saying, "I will." So, it is a word of determination. It is a word of commitment. And for the Lord to say, I will, he is saying in essence, I am committing myself to this. I am dedicated to this. I am determined to do this. I will, but then notice he said, I will not forsake you. Well, to state it positively, I will not forsake you or desert you positively. You can say, well, I will be with you. I will always be with you. I will never abandon you. So this is a wonderful, inspiring verse of scripture talking about the ever-presence, abiding presence of the Lord God Almighty. Notice the word "desert" that is also translated leave if you have the King James version of the Bible or the New King James. He says, I will never leave you. And this word leave is an interesting word. In the English language, we only have the one word leave. But in the Greek language, it's a word that means I'll never send you back. I will never relax my grip on you. I will never loosen that grip on you. I will never let you sink is literally what the word means. Now you cannot see this in the Greek language and I don't mean to be technical with you at all, but in the Greek language, it's a double negative. And to translate it, it would read, I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not leave you. I will not let my grip on you loosen. I will hold you and I will be with you. I will not, I will not leave you. Notice the word forsake. As though the word desert or leave was not enough. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to to, uh, desert you. I'm not going to forsake you. And this word forsake literally means I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you in a difficult place or in a difficult situation. I'll never let you down. That's literally what he is saying. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way, every moment of every day. And I'll never send you back. I'll never loosen my grip on you. I will be with you through thick and thin, through success as well as failure. And when he uses the word forsake, he uses the word in the Greek language negatively three times. So instead of just saying, I will not, I will not, for emphasis sake, he is saying, I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. I will promise to always be with you, always to be with you. So this, you can see how wonderful a promise like this is to know no matter what, God has committed himself to be with you every moment, every step of the way. You might ask, well, when did God ever say this? Well, he said it to Jacob. In the book of Genesis chapter 28 and verse 15, the Lord said, Behold, I am with you, Jacob. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he made that promise to Jacob. He also made it to Moses. Moses. In Deuteronomy 31.6, the Bible says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Can you imagine Moses being responsible for leading a million of people through the wilderness and into the promised land on the promise that God said, Moses, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm not going to turn you loose, abandon you to be on your own. I'm going to be with you. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. Notice not only did he say it to Jacob and Moses, he said it to Joshua. Joshua. After Moses died, it fell, uh, the leadership reigns of responsibility fell upon the shoulders of Joshua. And so, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5, this is what God said to Joshua No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you, nor will I forsake you. Not only that, he said it to the people of Israel through the prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41 in verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then the Lord Jesus himself said this to his disciples, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Even unto the end of the age. The word sometimes is translated to the end of the world, but it's to the end of the age. The Lord has said, I will be with you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. There are three basic ideas that I want to develop today as we think about the promise of God's abiding presence. And the first idea has to do with the unique presence of God in the believer, in the believer. Now notice on your outline, I believe there has been printed for you the passage of scripture from John 14, 16 and 17. John 14 verses 16 and 17 says, I shall ask them, now this is Jesus talking and he's talking to his disciples and he's making reference to the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus was here in his body, in his physical body, he was limited as to where he could be at any one time. In his body, he could only be at one place at one time. But in essence, he's saying, I'm going back to the Father. I'm going back to heaven. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be with you. He's going to abide with you. That's what he says. And so in this passage of scripture, this is the promise that Jesus made regarding the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because as in his physical body, he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. He took upon himself this limitation of humanity. But by sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in me. If you are a Christian, he lives in you. And he does so simultaneously. At the same time, right now, this very moment, every person in this room, every person in the entire world who is a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit resides in you. You don't ever have to pray, Oh, Lord, come down and be with us. He's already here, folks. He is in your presence and in my presence. He lives in me, He lives in you. So, this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples I shall ask the Father to give you someone. In my translation, the word someone is spelled with a capital S. So, he's talking about someone who's divine, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father to give you someone else to stand by you, to be with you always. I mean the spirit of truth. He is with you now and is in your, where? In your hearts. Now that statement that Jesus made to his disciples and to you and to me, there are four things in it. Notice who, who is he talking about? He's talking about the spirit of truth. That's what he says. I'll ask the father to send one, someone. I mean the spirit of truth. Not only is he talking about who, but he's talking about when uh, He said, I mean the spirit of truth. He is with you when? Now. He is with you now. And not only is he talking about who and when, but he's talking about where. Where is Jesus? Well, notice in the statement, he is with you now and is in your what? In your hearts. And for how long? Always. Look at it. I shall ask the Father to give you someone else to stand by you to be with you Always. I mean the spirit of truth. He is with you now, and he is in your heart. So there is this miraculous promise, reality, the truth of God. That if you will embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he abides with you. He lives in you always right now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to experience this. The moment you are converted and trust Christ as Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit takes up residence on the inside of you. And he does it right now and he will never, never, never abandon you. In Colossians 1.27... The New Living Translation says, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. Confidence and assurance. No question whatsoever, no doubt whatsoever about this truth. God, the Holy Spirit lives in you now. And over in the book of Corinthians Paul talks about your body and my body being the temple of the Holy Spirit that he lives there in you right here and now. And so there is this unique presence of God, the Holy Spirit living in the heart of every believer of Christ. Notice the second truth, not only the unique presence of God in the believer, but the unlimited presence of God in life's situations, in life's situations. No matter what, no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, God will be with you in all of life's circumstances. Now, time, of course, will not permit me to list all of the situations in life in which God will be present with you. you you're unique in your life and in my, in my life. Uh, and, and I've just listed three or four that are here. It, it's an unlimited list of situations in your life where God will be with you and is with you every step of the way. The first one that I've listed, however, has to do with troubles and trials because everybody has troubles and trials. Yours may be different than mine, but we all have them. As someone has said, I've got a heap of troubles and I've got to work them out. But as I look around and see, there's trouble all about. And when I see my troubles, I just look up and grin and count all the troubles that I'm not in. Uh, so we've all got troubles. You've got troubles, I've got troubles. All of God's children has troubles, okay? We all do. We all have trials. We all have temptations. But God has promised to be with us. Look at Psalm 46:1 in your Bible or on your outline. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge, he hides us. God is our strength, he helps us. The two go together. God is with us to hide me in the the midst of troubles, uh, to find in him, he's my refuge. He's the one to whom I turn. And of course, he's there to help me, not just to hide me, but to help me. The word trouble here, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The word literally means uh, to be, in, in, to be in a, uh, between a rock and a hard place, to use an East Texas uh, uh, colloquialism. Uh, we, we say, man, we're between a rock and a hard place. We're just in a very difficult situation. Uh, we have our backs up against the wall, so to speak. We're in a tight squeeze. We're in a pinch. When things really get bad for us, that's what the word means. Literally, when it, it just gets down, 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 down. Uh, in, in the Psalms uh, 46, from which, uh, if you have your Bibles, just turn to it for just a moment. Psalm 46. In Psalm 46, uh, he is describing a, a physical, uh, earthly uh, uh, description of, of, of things that are happening in the world. Uh, but look at Psalm 46 for just a moment. Uh, beginning with verse 2. Psalm 46 and verse 2. This is where in verse 1 is where I got the verse of Scripture. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But then notice how he begins to describe the trouble with verse 2. Therefore you will not fear, though the earth shall change. Well, is the earth changing? You bet it is. It's changing every day. Should it change? Yes. Will God be with you? Don't be afraid. Notice verse 2. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. So what if the mountains, so what if the earth disappears? God's with us. Verse three, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, he says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her from morning dawns. When morning dawn, dawns, the nations uh, make an uproar. The kingdoms totter. The, the nations make an uproar. Talk about the, the war and the, uh, the trouble that uh, we, we see going on among nations today. And the kingdoms are tottering. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So he takes these earthly catastrophes and saying, God's still in control. And God is our refuge and our strength. He will hide you and he will help you. Don't be afraid. He's not going to abandon you. In Nahum, the book of Nahum chapter one and verse seven, the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. You take refuge in the Lord because he knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows you by your name. He he counts every hair on your head, uh, whether it's just one or several. (laughs) He knows everything there is about you, and in your time of trouble, when you find refuge in the Lord, he knows that. If the little sparrow falls to the ground, and he notices a little sparrow. Don't you think you are of greater value than a sparrow, a little bird? Yes. God loves you and he cares for you and has made a commitment to you. I'm never going to abandon you, even in your trials, even in your troubles. Let me give you three examples of some troubles, two of them out of the Old Testament. First one, it has to do with, with uh, the, he, the three Hebrew children. You remember the book of Daniel? Uh, the, the three Hebrew children, we think of them as little bitty children. Actually, they were grown men. I believe uh, he's just calling. You know, we're all children of God, so I'm not talking about just little bitty children. All of us. So it's it's the children of God. These three Hebrew men, and and you remember how King Nebuchadnezzar had this huge statue, this idol of himself made, and at the sounding of the music, everybody was to bow down and worship, and uh, this idol, and these three Hebrew young men refused to do so, even at, at being threatened to be thrown into the burning furnace. And their commitment to the Lord was even the Lord whom we love and whom we serve. I'm paraphrasing this in my own own terminology because of the time limit. But uh, the God we love, the God we serve, he will deliver us from the burning furnace. But if not, if God chooses not to deliver us from the burning furnace, let it be known unto you, O king, we will not bow down to this idol. And so consequently, they were gathered up, they were bound, they were thrown into the burning furnace... It, the, the Bible tells us the fire of this furnace was so hot that the, the men, the guards who had bound them and were taking them into the, they, they all burned to death. They were incinerated. The fire was that hot and they were thrown into the furnace. You thought, well, that's it. They're gone forever now. But it wasn't. When King Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, he said, I see a fourth man in there. And the fourth man is likened to the Son of God. And these three guys came out of that furnace, wasn't a stench of clothing, Nothing on them, no, no burning, no marks, no, no odor about them of having been burned or cinched. God delivered them. Now, God may deliver you out of your trouble or he may not. Either way, he's going to be with you. Their commitment was it doesn't matter if he delivers us from it or delivers us through it. We're going to be committed to the Lord. God won't let you down. And if he chooses to send you through the burning furnace, then you take heart in knowing you won't be alone. God will be with you. The second example has to do with Daniel himself. Daniel was a committed follower of the Lord. He loved God and it was his practice, according to the book of Daniel, chapter three and verse eight through 18, it was his practice three times a day. He had a prayer room in his apartment where he lived and his windows opened up toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he would go up there and he would pray. And uh, so those who hated Daniel uh, decided that they would trick the king and, and, and uh, get him to write a decree that nobody was to bow down to nor pray to anybody else but that image. Daniel knew that. The scripture says he did. But he kept going back to that window. He wasn't doing that in defiance. The Bible very clearly states, as was his practice, he did this every day, three times a day, long before that decree was ever written. And just because the king issued a decree forbidding him to do that didn't mean he was going to stop doing it. So he wasn't doing it out of defiance. He was doing it out of habit and out of a commitment to his God. And consequently, he was arrested, he was bound, and he was thrown into a den of lions. And uh, God sent his angel down there and closed the mouth of those lions, put a muzzle on the mouth of those lions, Old King Nebuchadnezzar got scared. He, he, he went up to the entrance to the, to the den where those lions were and, and where Daniel had been thrown in. He said, old oh, Daniel, are you okay? Old oh, Daniel said, the Lord whom I love and whom I serve has sent an angel to cover the mouths of these lions. They have not bothered me one little bit. God delivered Daniel from the den of the lions. Now the people that arrested him and thrown him in there and who tricked the king into decreeing that no one should bow down and pray to anybody else, but to the king, they were taken and thrown into the lion's den. And so the lions had a meal after all. So those are two Bible examples. I could give you others, but let me give you a present day, historical, real trouble that is going on and brewing in our nation today right here in our own backyards, and I'm talking about the decree that the mayor of Houston uh, has uh, done in subpoenaing uh, the, uh, the the sermons and the uh, email and the videos and the transcripts and the manuscripts of the pastors in the city of Houston, because they had the courage and the audacity to stand in their pulpits and denounce the fact that uh, the mayor of Houston uh, is wrong in issuing a decree uh, that is called Houston Equal Rights Ordination. And what this decree was, this mayor, Anise Parker, who uh, is a lesbian uh, and uh, who decreed and uh, that uh, this, uh, this, this law that she was successful in having passed uh, says uh, that... Uh, It doesn't matter whether you are a male or a female, uh, but you have the right to use any public uh, restroom if you want to, it doesn't matter which one. So if you wake up some morning and you are a man or a boy, and by all uh, evidence of your physical anatomy says that you are a boy or a man, and yet you all of a sudden feel like, you know, I was born a man, but I'm really a woman. So I can use a women's restroom. You can do this in high school. Elementary school, doesn't matter. Public, public restaurants, uh, public facilities. If, if you are a man, but you feel in your heart that God made a mistake and you should have been born a woman and you feel like that you are a woman, then you have the right, although you're a man, to go into a women's restroom. On the other hand, if you are a woman and all by physical anatomy says that you are a woman and yet you feel like you've been re- scared by a retarded orangutan and... Uh, you, you all of a sudden feel like you're a man and you have a, 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 the tendencies of, of a man, even though you're a woman, you can go into a men's restroom. doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in elementary school of a boy or a woman or a girl, or, or go into a, a, a ladies' restroom or a men's restroom in public, doesn't matter. And these pastors down there uh, stood up and said, "That's wrong. That's not right." And so this mayor. Uh, Twisted the arms of the council members of of the city council and they've issued a decree and a ruling and a law and that she is demanding that those pastors turn over the manuscripts of their sermons uh, that may have any reference whatsoever to homosexuality or to her as a mayor or to any of the the principles that are set forth in this uh, uh, Houston equal rights ordinance known as HERO. Houston equal rights ordinance and uh, they will go through those and if you don't do that they're going to throw you in jail and fine you or do both and thank God that there have been those pastors who've refused to turn in those manuscripts or those emails or uh, anything else that they might have said no matter what and uh, and so they're, they're having to pay a price for this, too. So it happens in our day and our time, too, folks. And thank God, right now, it hasn't spread to our city. And we thankfully have uh, a good good people who serve on our city council. And the mayor's a personal friend of mine. I talked with him, you know, a little bit last night, but so forth. The funny thing about it, you remember uh, here a few days ago, an article came out in the paper. said he was a member of our church. <laughs> Actually, he's a member of the First Methodist Church. And the... Uh, the uh, uh, editor or the journalist who was doing the recording of it uh, got it mixed up because he's gone with our group who've gone to Ecuador on a medical mission uh, trip, and he's bought a, a portable dental uh, setup that he can take with him and actually drill uh, people who would never have dental care and, and pull teeth and do whatever he needs to as a dentist. And so he's been with us now two or three times And so in telling the story, the the uh, article, the writer, got it all mixed up, and so he presented uh, in the newspaper that he was a member of our church. I cornered him up, and I said, uh, Mayor, I said, I've been checking the records, and uh, you're a member of our church, and you're way behind on your tithe. (laughs) I'm thinking about sending him a, a notice with a with an offering envelope in it. <laughs> that you got you you need a triple tithe to get caught up on your on your back tithes uh, on that. Uh, but he's a fine Christian man, and we love our mayor. Uh, I told him that it, and, and uh, Bob Dunn, the former mayor here, you know, over in England, they refer to the mayor as his worship. So I, I call him I call him his worship. When Judy McDonald was mayor, I called her your royal highness. <laughs> uh, I like to have fun sometimes with people. As if you didn't know. (laughs) But anyway, it happens today, folks. It really does. I thank God for these men who are willing to take a stand and say, you you are doing this in defiance of my constitutional rights. The freedom of speech and the freedom of religion doesn't matter what. And uh, so just we need to pray for those people and, and, and those men and for the courage that they have. So it happens, folks. We're in trouble And I think this is just the beginning of a lot of things that we have yet to experience in in days to, to come. But in troubles and trials, the Lord has promised to be with us. Quickly, in worship, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. In witnessing, he's promised to always be with us, to go to the ends of the world and be a witness for him. It's interesting, when I came to this one about witnessing something that I had forgotten, and the Holy Spirit brought back to my memory, in the book of Matthew... The book of Matthew begins by saying that God is with us and it concludes by saying the same thing. In the beginning, in the book of Matthew chapter one, um, the angel told Joseph that when the child is born, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then when he comes to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew records what we call the great commission where the Lord said, and lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. And then he will be with us in our time of service just as he promised Moses that he would be with him in uh, his uh, serving the, uh, the Lord by leading these people of Israel uh, out of bondage into the promised land. And then finally, the Lord will be with us in times of death. Psalm 23:4: Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So in all of these instances, we can claim the promise In life situations, and these are just four or five that I've listed for you. As I said, it is an unlimited list. You can add your own here. Whatever your life situation may be, when, where, why, it doesn't matter. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God has promised, I will never leave you. And then finally, this wonderful ultimate presence of God in heaven. The ultimate presence of God in heaven. Several things about heaven because when I, when I die, I don't know when I'm going to die. I could die today, maybe tomorrow. May, I may live to be 100. I don't know. But when I die, I have the assurance. I have the confidence. I know this based on the promise of God and the promise of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, who said to me, because I live, you too shall live. So I may cease to exist on this earth in this body but I will never cease to exist. I will always exist, and because I am a Christian, I will always exist, and I will always live in the presence of God Almighty himself. Based on the promise that Jesus has made to me, based on the, on the victory that he won for me and for you over sin and death and the grave, just as he said to the dying thief on the cross today, not tomorrow, not a millennium from now, but today you will be with me in paradise. And when I drop dead, the last breath that I breathe on the face of this earth and I close my eyes on the last scene of this earth, I will instantaneously open my eyes and look upon the blessed face of my Lord Jesus Christ in heaven itself. Notice several things about heaven. It's a a place where I will have a personal presence God will be with me an interesting thing that I discovered this week that I'd never known before and every time I read the Bible I find something new and different but just write this reference down Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five. the last word or let me, the last name there are many names in the Bible about God or who God is uh, Jehovah Jireh and so forth The last name recorded in the Old Testament for the Lord is Jehovah Shammah, S-H-A-M-M-A-H. It literally means the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And he's talking about the millennium temple, that when the Lord comes back and sets up his millennium reign upon the earth, there'll be a temple. And the name of that temple will be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And so it's not only the millennium reign, but but it will be in heaven as well. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you where? Unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. So I'm going to be in the personal presence of Jesus himself. Secondly, it's a permanent presence. Notice in Revelation 21.3, the Bible says, God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And this word among them, among them, among them literally means permanent dwelling. Permanent, I, I'm going to be with you forever. I'm going to be forever with the Lord. It's a personal presence. It's a permanent presence. It's a protected presence because in Revelation 21.12-17, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes heaven like a city and it has a wall surrounding it. That wall symbolizes protection. That there will be nothing nor anyone who can enter into heaven to defile it, to hurt you or to harm you or to destroy you. You will be permanently protected in the presence of the Lord. And then the final thing is that it is a perfect presence perfect nothing unclean revelation 21:27 nothing unclean no one who practices an abomination or lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life the old devil got in the garden of eden and messed things up for us but he won't get into heaven the devil has his place it's assigned to him it's called hell and the devil will not be in charge of hell hell is a prepared place for the devil and for his angels and he will be tormented you get out of your mind this idea that the devil is going to torment everybody in hell. No, he is not. He is going to be tormented day in and day out. And all of the demons who are with him and who've rebelled against God and and joined forces with the devil, Satan, Lucifer, and all whose names are not found written in the book of life, they will spend forever permanently, eternally separated from God in a place called hell just as you will forever permanently dwell with God in a place called heaven. And it is a permanent, perfect place. Now, there are many things about which we are uncertain in life, but there's one thing about which we can be absolutely sure. It is that the Lord is with us now, that he will be with us tomorrow, and every day in the future that he will never, never, never forsake us. This is a sure rock on which to plant our feet. Notice, go back to the verse that I started with at the beginning. For he himself has said, I will never desert you. Notice the two personal pronouns, he and you. He himself has said to you. It is a personal promise that God has made to every one of his children The Lord does not say, I will never leave you or desert you if you promise to never leave or desert me. No, because you belong to him and because he has given himself to you and has pledged his word to you, nothing nor anyone will ever be able to separate you from the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, I want you to take your hymn book. I'm through except for this song our invitation that we're going to sing. But before we sing it, I want to point some things out to you. So take your hymn book and turn to page number 338. Hymn number 338. Page number 338, you find the words to the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, written by a man named John Rippon. John Rippon was, uh, if you'll notice at the bottom of the page, uh, it has uh, his name there as the the author. John Rippon was the pastor of Carters Lane Baptist Church in London, England for 63 years. Uh, He was considered to be one of the most popular and influential ministers of his time. This hymn, How Firm a Foundation, appeared uh, anonymously in his collection of hymns. He collected a bunch of hymns and put them in a book. And in that uh, collection of hymns, at the bottom of it, there's just the letter K. Uh, His name (laughs) didn't start with K. Uh, Later, in uh, future uh, publications of the hymn, uh, the uh, imprint was K-N, the two letters K-N. And then one of the uh, publications had the word Ken, K-E-E-N. Now, the music director in Carter Lane's Baptist Church was a man by the name of R. Keene, K-E-E-N-E. So it may be that Keene, the music director, at least wrote the music to it. Rippon wrote the words to it. Rippon's hymnal was exceedingly popular immediately. 11 editions were printed in England before his death in 1836. And an American edition was also printed by the Baptist churches in Philadelphia in 1820. The hymnal has often been called the unofficial hymn textbook. How a foundation became well known throughout our northern and southern states, especially during the time of the Civil War and was included in most American publications of the time. Now, like many of our fine hymns, this text is really a sermon in verse. Notice in verse one, there is a reference to God's word. The first stanza, the true foundation of the Christian faith is established as being in the word of God. And then verses 2 through 5 is simply an explanation or an expansion of what he says in verse 1. For example, in verse 2, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. In stanza number 3, it comes from Isaiah 43.2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Stanza number four comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And verse five comes from Hebrews thirteen five. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How firm a foundation has been a favorite hymn and testimony of many of God's children throughout the years. It was the favorite of such Christian leaders, American leaders as Theodore Roosevelt. This was his favorite song. Andrew Jackson, requested that this song be sung at his bedside right before he died. And Robert E. Lee also requested it for his hymnal at the funeral as an expression of his full trust in the ways of his heavenly father. Now notice the words of it. Let's look at them. Notice stanza number one. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flames shall not hurt you. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul though all hell shall endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. My, what a song. So this is going to be our hymn of invitation. God is here today. He is present in this room. If you are a Christian, he lives within you. If you are not a Christian, His presence is here today to bring conviction to your heart of your sins and of your need to turn from your sins and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and embrace Him as your Lord and Savior and invite Him to come and take up residence in your heart so that He will be with you forever. And when it comes time for you to die, you'll not have to be afraid though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death for God will be with you. If you're here today and as a Christian, You're looking for a church home, your membership is somewhere else, but you feel this is where God would have you to come. God, the Holy Spirit will lead you if that is his will and his desire for your life. I'll be here at the front to receive you as you follow his will. Let's stand please. And as we sing, you come.